Hey friends, welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dazinski, and this is a community for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. Happy August to you all. I can't believe we're already in full swing. And I also can't believe that we are now into the double digits on the podcast. So that's super exciting. At least it is for me. (laughs) You all um, gave me great feedback on last week's Q&A episode. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'll plan to do more Q&As in the future. But this month, we are focusing on conflict. In July, we talked through various aspects of communication. And this month, we're hitting on conflict. So The first most important piece of understanding conflict is learning how to calm yourself. I don't know about you, but when Evan and I first got married, or no, engaged actually, what would become one of our perpetual issues began to show itself and I felt completely blindsided. Now, quickly, a perpetual issue is one that keeps coming up for you again and again, either because you're dealing with the circumstance beyond your control, such as family issues or in-laws, or because you have deeply held differing values on having children or your faith, for example. And according to Gottman, every couple has three to five perpetual issues. So, like I said last week, it's not the absence of problems that causes marriages to succeed, but how a couple engages around those problems and maintains emotional connection anyway. I digress. So, to say that one of our perpetual issues arose overnight is not an exaggeration. And I always considered myself a fairly steady and collected person, and I've heard that from others as well. So when I all of a sudden started having strong, like lightning speed, emotional and physiological reactions during certain conversations with Evan, I was like, what in the world is happening to me? And as you can imagine, Evan was like, what in the world is happening to my fiance? And not just my fiancé, but the girl I've known since I was 10. This is not her. And what was happening to me, friends, is called flooding. Now, you may have heard people talk about the sensation by saying things like, my blood is boiling, or I'm about to lose my mind. And physiologically, they wouldn't be entirely wrong. (laughs) But in psychology or counseling, we give it the common name of flooding. Now let me explain. Flooding is a human experience that happens when we feel threatened or attacked in some way. It's a fight-or-flight response to a real or perceived danger that happens so quickly we react to our surroundings before we can even turn our brains back on, at least the part that's responsible for us being reasonable. So what happens in the body, whether the threat is physical or mental and emotional, is our heart rates increase to over 100 beats per minute, Our blood rushes to our brains and to our major muscle groups to prepare us for action. So this can cause a flushed face or make our muscles tense or shaky. And what's happening in our brains is that our prefrontal cortex switches off like a light switch while our amygdalas take over. Now, this is important. The prefrontal cortex is the area of the brain responsible for reasoning, decision-making, and moderating behavior. The amygdala, on the other hand, is responsible for emotion, survival instinct, and memory. So, as you can imagine, if our prefrontal cortexes, which are located like right behind our foreheads, if they're switching off and they're responsible for 
reasoning, and decision-making and our amygdalas are kicking on, that's going to be a recipe for disaster when it comes to trying to communicate, right? So let me give you two different scenarios, one where this physiological reaction served me and another where it did not. When I was in college, I lived in Colorado for a time, and one of my roommates was cooking oil on the stove. Well, it got too hot and caught on fire, and subsequently our kitchen caught on fire. And I remember hearing commotion, but it wasn't until the commotion heightened that I thought to peek my head outside of my bedroom and see what was going on. And I remember seeing my roommate with an inflamed pot in her hand, one roommate falling on the floor after slipping in spilled oil, and my third roommate was literally frozen in fear across the room. I mean, eyes wide, mouth open, paralyzed. And I guess my survival instincts kicked in in fight mode, thank God, because as if my body was on autopilot, I found myself in the hallway of our apartment complex, breaking the glass and running the fire extinguisher back into our apartment. Now, I hadn't even been conscious that I had been walking past a fire extinguisher, but again, it was that survival instinct that kicked in and my adrenaline was going and... That's when our fight response serves us, right? When we're actually in a dangerous situation. Now, the time this reaction did not serve me was when my new fiancé called to tell me about an unfortunate miscommunication that had occurred, and I felt blamed for the consequences he suffered because of said mistake. And therefore, I was defensive in my reaction. I distinctly remember my face getting hot, my muscles tensing up, and trying to control my volume as I responded through gritted teeth. And this was an unusual experience for me. Now, the words that came out of my mouth were in no way, shape, or form out of a place of reason, but rather out of a place of fear and feeling very insecure in that moment in relationship with him. Now, Thank God we learned what we did early on, because we haven't experienced anything like that for almost seven years. But my point is, when we're flooded and we perceive a threat, our physiology still takes over, and what happens next will never ever serve us if we try to keep going. It just won't. Trying to communicate while flooded is never going to end well for us. We just don't have that much self-control. When it comes to such a primitive response, because guess what? Self-control is a function of the prefrontal cortex, which again shuts down on us when we're flooded. So what do you do? Well, you've got to learn to calm yourself. Now, I can say that to you because I'm not your spouse. And while we're on that topic, repeat after me. I vow to never again tell my spouse to calm down. Because when has that ever worked, right? But in all seriousness, it is our job and no one else's to calm ourselves when we get flooded. We have to learn, and for some of us to actually retrain our brains, that when we feel upset or angry, fearful or insecure or even panicked, that it's not actually the end of the world and we're going to be okay. We're still loved. We're still okay. We're still safe. So, When we get flooded, we just have to ride that wave out long enough to reach shore, to regain our sense and sensibility. And surprisingly, that takes at least 20 minutes for us to calm ourselves down, especially when we're fully flooded and that physiologically aroused. 
Now, as you build trust, positivity, emotional connection, and healthy habits of communication, you'll begin to get flooded less and less. But until then, calm yourself. Learn to self-soothe. Take at least 20 minutes to decompress to get your heart rate back down to normal. Because as your heart rate slows, your prefrontal cortex switches back on, and only then can you and your spouse have a reasonable and productive conversation about whatever was going on in the first place. And here's how you do that. When you're in conversation or conflict and suddenly triggered by something, as soon as you notice yourself getting flooded, just say so. Whatever you notice first, whether it be your face getting hot, feeling like you're underwater, feeling your heartbeat out of your chest, whatever gets your attention first, name it to your partner. That way, both of you will know to pause the conversation. Tell your spouse you need some time to calm down or cool off, and you do want to come back and have a conversation about whatever bothered you, but you just know that you're not in a headspace to do it in that moment. In doing this will reassure your spouse that you're not leaving, you're not disengaging or distancing from them, you're simply taking responsibility for your own emotions and reactivity. Here are a few ideas to calm yourself. You could go to another room to journal or listen to music, go for a walk or for a run to get some energy out. Or, for some couples, you can stay in close proximity, but just keep yourselves occupied with other things, like cleaning or picking up the house or watching a TV show together, whatever works for you. Just make sure you're not ruminating on the situation, but rather facilitating your body's return to a relaxed and resting state. And some couples will be able to stay in close proximity while others won't, and that's okay. The important thing is that you each take responsibility for your own flooding and that you communicate your desire to talk things out later after you've taken at least a 20-minute break. Now, to be clear, I would put a one-hour cap on it if you can because here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you saying to your spouse, well, Kinsey said that I need at least 20 minutes to calm down, but personally, I need 24 hours to see how I feel after that. You know the random warning tags on appliances and toys that seem like common sense, but are there because someone's done it before? Well, this is like that. So take 20 to 60 minutes tops before re-engaging each other. Because noticing when you're flooded and taking a break is an opportunity for you for growth and self-leadership, not an excuse to engage in emotional immaturity and avoid conflict. Okay, so I could go on, but your action step for today is to download the free PDF I've created that corresponds to this episode. You can find that at bravemarriage.com slash 010. This PDF has questions about what you notice first when you get flooded, how much time each of you need, what self-soothing strategies you prefer to engage in, and how to do that without triggering your partner. So this is a really helpful practical tool for you to use and refer back to on a regular basis, especially when you're flooded and not thinking straight, so that you'll be able to read what you said you would do in those moments straight off your paper. So again, that free PDF can be found at bravemarriage.com slash 010. And over the next few weeks, we'll dive deeper into the triggers that cause flooding in the first place and the defense mechanisms we engage in as a result. 
important stuff to know if we want to be able to move through conflict well and in a way that leads us closer to each other rather than driving each other away. All right, friends, my prayer for our marriages this week is that regardless of how our bodies and brains react, we would still pursue what makes for peace with each other and that God might be glorified in all we think, say, and do in our marriages. Take care. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile as it is